You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. everyone and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The story of KHRAT is relatively uh, small from the scale of the impact, a small number of individuals. That's Ryan Olson, the Director of Threat Intelligence at Palo Alto Networks. Their Unit 42 Threat Intelligence team recently observed activity involving the remote access Trojan they call KHRAT, used by threat actors to target citizens in Cambodia. This is a malware tool, it's a remote access tool, a remote access Trojan, depending on your terminology, uh, that we associate with a group that's called Dragon OK. This is an espionage group that we've seen targeting people for the last three or four years. Uh, they use a series of different, basically, malware tools, different kinds of backdoors, different techniques uh, to compromise organizations and then to steal their information. Uh, we've seen them target all sorts of types of organizations, folks in high tech, folks in heavy industry, uh, NGOs, national embassies. Um, they really do sort of have broad targeting, but when they go after someone, uh, it's pretty specific. It's not the kind of thing, attacks from Dragon OK using KHRAT aren't the kind of thing that just any individual is typically going to experience. So to back up a little bit, KHRAT was first uh, discovered and detailed by Forcepoint back in March. Uh, they named it KHRAT uh, because the malware was targeting uh, individuals and hosting uh, their command and control structure on infrastructure in Cambodia. And .kh is the top-level domain for Cambodia. Hmm. So they gave it that name. They gave us uh, some description of how it operated and described some of the attacks that it used in and linked it back to this other group, Dragon OK. We've been monitoring it since then. Palatine Networks collects a lot of malware. Um, we have this big platform that's deployed globally. 
all of the files that pass through firewalls and get analyzed in our wildfire cloud, all the data from that, all the analysis reports, um, it all runs into this big system that we have called Autofocus. And then the researchers on my team and elsewhere in the company, we look at that data. We build tools, we build rules basically to help alert us when we see something of interest. So one of the researchers in our team, Alex Hinchliff, actually identified that a new KH rat sample um, had passed into our platform uh, and started investigating it in June. And KH rat is a relatively straightforward backdoor. Um, backdoors can have lots of different features to them. Sometimes we see commercial backdoors that have all these amazing features. They turn on your video camera. They can record your audio. You know, they've got really sophisticated GUIs to make it easy for uh, the attacker to sort of walk through your system. Mm. KHRAT seems relatively simple, though. Uh, it gives you basic access to the file system so they can, you know, read and write files, upload them back to the command and control server. Uh, it can log keystrokes. It can capture screenshots. And it can basically open a command prompt. So if the attacker wanted to, they can type any command they want to, run it on the Windows host. So take us through how is this attack delivered? So the delivery is actually pretty interesting. In this case, the file that we picked up, the file that was uploaded into our cloud, uh, was a Word document. Uh, and it was a Word document uh, that had a file name and sort of a description that was related to uh, basically an infrastructure development project happening on the Mekong River in Cambodia. So in this case, what we picked up was not a whole email. There wasn't an email passing through our network, but we got this file, um, this Word document. And the Word document, when you open it up, it would display a message to you that was basically going to say, hey, if you want to see the content of this file, you need to click Enable Content at the top. This is actually a really common technique that we've seen a lot of attackers pick up, basically starting in October of 2014 and just ramping up from there. And when you click that Enable Content button, while it might display content to you, it might actually show you some additional information, what you're really doing is telling Word, I trust this document, and you can enable macro code to run inside it. Right. That enable content button, as you've probably heard in many attacks, has become an extremely dangerous button to press. <laughs> um, and that macro code in this Word document, what it did is reach out to another website. Uh, in this case, the website used the domain upload-dropbox.com, uh, which is you know a, sort of a, a look-alike domain for Dropbox. It's not really owned by Dropbox, but if someone were to see network traffic to it, they might not think it was suspicious. And what it was going to do is access a file there that was called something like file.jpg. Um, the content of that file wasn't actually a JPEG. It wasn't an image. It was actually some W script, uh, some Windows scripting engine code, uh, which would then get executed by the macro, which would reach out to the same server again, upload-dropbox.com, and download another file that looked like it was an image, but it was actually a DLL. And that DLL was KHRAT. At that point, the macro would run the DLL. It would start operating on the system. It would install itself so that anytime the system rebooted, it would keep running, uh, and it would give the attacker access to that host over its command and control channel, which happens over more HTTP requests, basically, uh, to another server. So take us through th the way that it masquerades as being uh, a Dropbox infrastructure. So you can create uh, basically any domain that you want to. Um, if I wanted to go and register... 
you know, the, the cyberwire.com. Um, I could go and do that if it wasn't already registered. Hey, back (laughs) off there, buddy. Hey, (laughs) if I wanted to, I could go and do that. Um, and you might be able to make a claim and say, Hey, you're violating my copyright and we can go to arbitration to try and, you know, transfer that back. But you know, domains are available. People can register them. You can register them with small typos in them. You can register them with dashes where there weren't normally dashes. Mm -hmm. A lot of companies, you know, register domains defensively because they think they might be used by attackers or people who are trying to damage their brand. So they'll register a whole bunch of domains in advance. In this case, this upload-dropbox.com was registered by an attacker. Uh, And if you think about this from the network defender's perspective, let's say you're sitting down, you're looking for suspicious traffic, and you see a HTTP request, uh, basically access to a website that looks like it's on upload-dropbox.com, and it looks like it's going for a file called file.jpg. That looks a lot less suspicious than something that's on some big random-looking domain Mm -hmm. uh, or just a direct connection to an IP address, and it's a file that's called you know, malware.exe or malware.dll. In either one of those cases, that would look a lot more suspicious. It would pop out as something that that guy should go and investigate, that that analyst should go and say, hey, this is something that's out of the ordinary. So this is, I mean, it's not a super sophisticated technique to try and mask your activity, but anything that an attacker can do to sort of decrease the likelihood that you're just going to get picked up by chance, uh, oftentimes is worthwhile. So there's lots of these kinds of, you know, basic sort of obfuscation techniques that attackers use. One of the downsides of actually going and registering your own domain uh, and doing it in this way is that, you know, it becomes memorable. It's the kind of thing that another analyst in my team, if we see traffic that's going to this domain in the future, we'll know, hey, that's related to that cage rat, rat attack. We can also keep a nice list of all the domains they've used and get a better understanding of sort of the patterns that they use as well. In this case, it wasn't just upload-dropbox.com. They actually used a few subdomains of that. So, uh, you know, stuff.upload-dropbox.com as the domain that was being contacted. Take us through the installation and the persistence. Sure. So once KHRAT is actually on the system, this is that DLL that's actually going in and running on the host. Uh, It gets written to the file system. Uh, A registry key gets created uh, so that when the system reboots, it's going to keep running. Uh, It's relatively straightforward. Nothing that's, you know, completely out of the ordinary. Would your standard antivirus detect this sort of thing? It's possible for antivirus to detect any kind of rat like this. It just depends on what they know about. One of the big downsides of of signature-based detection is that the antivirus program has to be aware of what it looks like before it can detect it. Most antivirus engines at this point also contain some sort of behavioral uh, detection capability so they can look at sort of how it's operating, whether or not it's doing malicious things. Uh, The technology that we operate does something very similar. We'll actually run these files uh, basically in a sandbox to see does it do anything that looks suspicious and compare those, you know, one file to three and a half billion other files to discover does it look like the good ones or does it look like the bad ones so it's possible that it was detected i don't actually have the data on whether or not it was detected directly by av signatures on the day of mm-hmm. um but a lot of attackers especially when you're launching a really low sort of low and slow attack you're targeting you know five or ten people at a time it's pretty simple to get a copy. One, you can do reconnaissance, find out these companies, these organizations I'm targeting, what antivirus program do they use? Um, that's actually relatively easy to find out through you know, searching LinkedIn, 
through searching for job postings. Uh, if a company has you know, got a position open where they are looking for someone who has skills around a certain antivirus product, it's really easy to know that's what they're using. Hmm. And then you can upload that file to an A-B testing service and say, has it been detected by this program or not? And if it's not, fantastic. Go and send your malware there because you know it's not going to be picked up. Um, so in this case, like I said, I don't know the exact detections for the DLL at the time, but it's not the kind of thing that you know is going to be detected right off the bat. Now, in this case, there was also the clever use of a click tracker. Yeah, so we saw this interesting overlap with this click tracker, basically on the command and control server itself. Um, there was some other content that was included with this um, JavaScript click tracker, uh, and a click tracker is the kind of thing that you would see used um, in lots of different uh, lots of different websites. It's the kind of thing that um, advertising companies use to track whether or not people have viewed various pages. So this is basically just a reconnaissance tool, effectively to say who's actually going and touching this website. Uh, now, in this case. The click tracker that was installed on this host uh, that was on the same server as the command and control server, we don't know exactly how it was connected to the KHRAP. Uh, it's possible that there was a direct connection. It's possible um, that it was being used for different purposes by the same attacker. But it did give them the ability to track who is visiting this web server. Is it people who are infected with the malware potentially, or is it other folks who are just sort of accessing this server? In terms of attribution, what are your conclusions there? We've attributed previous attacks related to the tools that Dragon OK has used in the past. One thing, Palatine Networks in general doesn't attribute attacks to nation states in particular. And the main reason for that is, as a company, our sort of vantage point, one, I'm an intelligence analyst. I've been working in this industry for over a decade. And one thing that I know is that I oftentimes don't have enough information to make a conclusion, uh, especially a, a, you know, a conclusive statement that one attack was really launched by a nation state, by a particular nation state. Um, I can make guesses based off of their intent, uh, based off of capabilities around the kind of adversary who might have been responsible for particular kinds of attacks. But since I'm not law enforcement and I'm not you know, a government agent who might have access to additional information garnered from hosts that were used for operating the malware, other things like that, I'm rarely in a position where I can make that conclusive sort of answer. The second thing is my customers in general, uh, it doesn't help them to know that it's a specific nation state necessarily. Uh, it's interesting for sure, but it doesn't really change how they're going to defend against that attacker. What they're really interested is um, how capable are they, who have they attacked in the past, what kind of operations do they launch, and what can I do to keep them out of my network? So that's generally what we focus on. So in our case, we associate all this activity with Dragon OK. That's the code name that we use for it. These new attacks using KHRAT, we also link back to Dragon OK, as well as probably five or six tools that we've seen them use in the past. They're distinct tools that are only used by this one group. And they attack a lot of people, and their primary goal seems to be stealing information. Uh, they're not targeting people like my mom to hold her data for ransom. They're targeting high-end organizations um, in very specific ways, uh, which gives us a really different kind of profile than a traditional criminal attacker. Given the targeting of these types of attacks and that they're not going after broad uh, consumers or things like that, that you know they know who they're going after and they have specific targets, what are the broader take-homes from your analysis of this, uh, this KHRAT? So for the kinds of organizations who might be targets of a group like Dragon OK, uh, I think it's important for them to understand what this group's tactics are now, what they have been in the past, 
um, and the fact that they are using this new remote administration tool. They've got a new component in their toolkit, uh, and they're launching attacks with it. For everybody else, which is the vast majority of the population, uh, the takeaway I would have is mostly around, this is a very sophisticated group writing their own malware, and the way that they've chosen to target people is to send them emails with Word documents in them that have macros that they just, someone has to click enable content and it's going to compromise their computer. And this is a technique that's used by tons of cyber criminals, people who are launching all sorts of kinds of attacks. And the same two types of actors are using the exact same technique. And the reason for that is not because they don't have anything better. It's because it works so well. It doesn't require any technical vulnerability. Uh, there are certainly things that administrators can do to stop. Administrators can make the choice and act and through group policy to say, let's disable for our entire enterprise the ability to run macros uh, in Word or do that based off of you know um, Active Directory groupings. But for people at home where you don't have an administrator who's going to make that choice, disable macros. You almost never need them. Turn them off. Search on whatever version of Windows and whatever version of Office you're using to disable macros macros entirely and just even if you don't have them disabled, don't click enable content. Unless the file is absolutely one that you have to run a macro in, which is relatively rare, keep that feature off. It is just too risky. Our thanks to Ryan Olson from Palo Alto Networks for joining us. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.